0: that makes me feel alive. If I'm alive and I'm feeling alive, that means I'm going to be creating something that's gonna contribute to the world.
1: Hey, standouts, this is Yolanda Enoch, and welcome to How She Did It, the podcast where we explore the career paths of women of color. Please excuse my deep, scratchy voice, but I've caught a bit of a bug. Not the flu, but something that's doing a number on my throat and voice. Since health and wellness are top of mind with me right now, the timing of this episode couldn't be better. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Karuna Patel. Karuna is an integrative physical therapist and practice at Turtle Rabbit Physical Therapy. Karuna knew she wanted to be a physical therapist in high school, and she was very intentional in how she got there. Although she knew what she wanted, Karuna still had a winding and interesting path to starting her own practice. She worked full-time while working at a medical center while working weekends at a hospital. She moved into consulting so she could do nonprofit work in India and she evaluated and joined the board of an organization that makes her feel connected to her community. Karuna had great thoughts on a lot of things, including making decisions based on love versus fear that I think you'll find helpful. For links to the things discussed in this episode, go to yolanda.com forward slash 10. And now let's start the show.
0: My name is uh, I'm Karuna Patel. As a profession, I'm an integrated physical therapist and I inspire people to heal with their bodies. Um, my education is as a physical therapist and I have a practice based in San Francisco called uh, Turtle Rapid Physical Therapy, which I, I really love.
1: Where did you grow up?
0: Oh, let's see. Most of my I was born in London. Um I we moved around a lot cuz my dad was in business and he followed his heart. I was fortunate for that cuz that's how I turned out. Um but I grew up in London and then um until I was 13, I was raised in the South in Arkansas and Texas, and then we moved to California and I grew up in Southern California for uh most of my life after that.
1: Ah, okay. Those are definitely different areas, which I imagine would have been very cool. How long did you live in London? Do you remember your time there?
0: I remember it a little bit. I I was about uh, four or five when we moved, and you know, I just remember a. Great community. Lots of, I think I went to daycare, uh, all the teachers and all the kids. And, uh, you know, now looking back, right, I remember all the ethnicities. Of course, back then, I just remember kids. You know, but when I look at my pictures, and as I grew up, I was like, "Oh, I, I was in this kind of a community," and then I was at. So I, I just remember a lot of warmth and uh, people, and a, and a big sense of community, and just probably walking on my own to the next door neighbor's house on the street and being safe. I, I used to, you know, tell my parents, "I'm like, you guys, let me walk over by myself," and it wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Like It was just a different community and different times then. Um, just remember that part. It was outside of London, so it wasn't proper London. It was outside, and so it was a smaller town. Do
1: you have siblings, or were you an only child?
0: Oh, this is such a loaded question, and I'm sure my sisters are going to hear this. So I do have... <laughs> I'm the eldest of three three girls. I do have two sisters, and... Um, and we're eight and 10 years apart. So now that we're all grown up and adults, I say, you know what, I got all the love for eight years without having to share it. So
1: <laughs> When you were in high school, were you in California at this point or did you spend a part of your high school in another state?
0: Yeah, I uh, moved to California when I started my freshman year. So we moved from Texas, um, in the summer and then I went to one high school in Upland, California for one semester and then we moved to Alhambra, California, uh, which is in the valley.
1: Mm, Okay, so how was it going from like a ninth grader and thinking that you were probably gonna be in Texas and you have these friends here and then having to switch to a new state, probably a different environment. How was that transition for you?
0: So, you know, it's really interesting what you think your world is until you move. You know, I grew up in Texas, not, I'm Asian Indian, East Indian. And so I grew up in in Texas with not a lot of East Indians around me in school. And so I don't know what I thought the world was. I guess I just thought that's how the world was. There was, you know, uh, Caucasian, African American. And from my memory, I only recall me and a couple of maybe another Asian girl in school. That was it. And so I just thought the world was like that. I didn't, you know, you don't really think much as a kid, I guess. I didn't have internet at that time. So it was just whatever was on TV. And I was really upset at my dad that we were moving because I was, I had, I was like on top of my class um, in the eighth grade and we had just gotten these medals for being, you know, to one of the top students, and I thought my life was ruined. I was really upset we were going to move to California because I thought it was going to be worse than Texas, I remember thinking.
1: Why was that your belief? Why did you think it was going to be different?
0: I'll be I'll be straight up and honest. I thought it was going to be more mean white people.
1: <laughs> mm. Did you experience a lot of mean I, uh, white people in Texas?
0: <laughs> yes. in I, I don't, you know as a grown up and so i'm going to tell you what i thought when i was in the 8th grade that was my thought i don't think that way now but that was my thought in the 8th grade like oh my gosh you know california is full of white people it's what's going to happen to me i remember i met a skateboarder in the summer in texas and he's like no it's so cool dude like it's so fun there in california i'm like what are you talking about? My life is ruined. And then I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, maybe I should relax on this idea a little bit. So I did relax, you know, because based on him, he was from California. And then we came to California and I will tell you my first week in high school, it was probably my first day. This is what I remember. I was walking around campus and I thought, wow, no one's staring at me. I totally blend in. (laughs) because there were lots of different ethnicities at school. I was like, whoa, I'm just like everybody else. Okay. So what
1: are some other things about high school that maybe influenced what you thought you wanted to do as a career?
0: I'll tell you, the biggest influence in high school uh, was my mom. So my mom is an eighth grade dropout uh, because she had to help out with the family and my mom always instilled in me that if you want to learn to stand on your own feet you got to go to college and she she would just kind of say it it wasn't something that was like you know a lesson she just like I'm pretty sure it was whenever I was telling her my life problems you know in, in middle school or in high school and she's like, well you know if you want to stand up on your own feet you're gonna have to go to college so that was kind of always in the back of my mind so in high school, whatever uh, things would happen. And if I didn't like it, or, you know, it was about some boy breaking my heart or some girl being mean to me, right? All these high school things that we go through that um, shape us, that could shape us. um, I would always think, well, you know what? This is not really the end game. This is not the end of the road why I'm going through high school. My mission is to go to college. So if I don't get to go to this dance, if I don't get this dress for this dance, or if someone breaks my heart, it's okay because that's not what I'm here for. That really shaped probably uh, everything I did in high school because I did it for either fun or to to learn and have fun.
1: Could you talk about what that means to you?
0: Yeah, I think we really push ourselves to do things because we must do it or we should do it. And so when I was younger, I, I think because of the way my parents were, I just got to do whatever and pick And so I naturally would pick because it was something that made me curious. You know, I had a saxophone and I did that for one week and then I'd go do something else. And my parents never said to me, you know, you keep quitting stuff. They didn't really say it like that. They're just like, well, you should decide really like, you know, how much commitment you want to put to things, you know? And so I started think naturally. I don't think I put this much thought into it. So this is all hindsight, right? But I just remember doing things that were fun but i was getting something growth or learning i wasn't getting something as oh i'm going to be popular now no that's very short visioned i feel it was like how do i enrich my life you know i want to i want to live right now i guess is kind of the internal thoughts i had like just a paper that came into my mind i think i did a a paper on martin luther king in history class I went to the library. I used to love going to the library and going through the card catalog, you know, that we didn't have computer searches at that time. We had a photocopy and there was no scanning and I'm telling you, but it was fun. It was like, what you, I mean, I don't know. It was fun to me. I'd just go there and be like, let me see what is out in the world for me to play with. And I created this paper with pictures and blah, blah, blah. And it was like way over the top. Like I think, than we were supposed to do. But I was like, well, wouldn't a visual picture be kind of good in all this context, you know? And so I put this paper together and my professor was like, oh, my God, your paper's amazing. And I don't even think it was all the stuff I wrote in there. It was just the whole showcase of the paper. And I was like, wow. And I was like, ah, just having fun. And so those kind of little hints was like, well, let me, whenever I do something Forget if I'm going to get an A or if I'm going to get a promotion or whatever. Let me just do it fully because I'm doing it. It's part of my existence, if you'll say. So it's a part of my production into this life. So why wouldn't I do it to the greatest and best ability that I can for what makes sense to me? I think that's important.
1: Where do you think you got that from as you were talking about that? I saw that you look to not to bend the rules, but you look to do more than what the instructions say. But most of us are like, at that point, you're just thinking about, like, I need to do exactly what my professor or my teacher says in order to get the good grade. But using to like sprinkle your personality or the the desire to make something like you said, fun. Where do you think that came from
0: in you? You know, I have no idea. I think maybe it's from my, the way my parents raised me. Like we didn't, we had rules of like how to be as a human being basically, you know, you don't lie. You don't hurt people. You don't uh, be mean to people. But it wasn't like you must behave like this, you know? And so I, I was, I felt, I felt bad for my parents when I was young because I would always be doing something. Put the carpet on fire one day is one of my favorite, favorite stories, but I won't go into that. But my dad was just like, honey, don't do that. And then he put the rug over it and he said, don't tell mom. So now my mom's going to know when she hears this podcast. Sorry, mom. But you know what? He said, don't do this again. So you know what I went and did? I went and tried the science experiment over the sink that was made over steel because I knew it wouldn't catch on fire. So you're right. Actually, I didn't always follow the rules. I would bend the rules. But I, you know, so maybe it came from there because an encouragement from teachers. Um, I loved art when I was young and my art teachers, my music teacher in Texas, like they were just amazing. And it was where, probably where I got more encouragement than in my other classes. My science teachers were always very encouraging. And so, you know, it wasn't, um, maybe that was the subjects that like, Allowed me to be more creative, and so. Um, How were they
1: encouraging? What what were they? What types of things did they say to you?
0: You know, in hindsight, it's it's like one sentence moments. I feel, you know, it was like. That history paper, the teacher must have, she wrote A plus in her red ink and wrote something, you know, good job with exclamation points. And then when she handed me the paper, she goes, great paper, Karuna. few words, but lots of energy behind it. It was just these little moments. If I really put them together, every time they told me something, I remember they looked me in the eye. I may not remember what they said, but they did look me in the eye when they were saying it. And I remember each of those moments if I go through it. And that still sticks with me now. Like if I'm doubtful, you know, I mean, I'm 43 years old and I'm telling you of memories that were in the 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grade. That's a very, very long time ago. You know, that's why I really... Say our little actions of connection, smiles and eyes and eye contact and little words, um, they can really impact people and change the whole course of their life. You just just don't know where you're impacting people. So, you know, don't doubt it.
1: You talk about like your teachers in high school. I'm going to even go back to something that happened in high school, but it was something that started before then when i was in elementary school <clears throat> i had a speech impediment so i had like a lisp and my school district was really awesome like retrospect like i went to public high public schools all throughout my life but my school system was so fantastic. So we had a speech therapist and I would meet with her. I, I now don't even know how often it was, if it was once a week or once every other week, but she would pull me out of class and they would, and she would work with me to kind of help me with my speech impediment. Like in retrospect, I'm not sure if that's the best idea because all it did was just heighten my awareness that I was different. And that made me more, that made me very self-conscious of like how I sounded and how I pronounced things. So then that made me shut down. And so I never spoke out in class ever because I didn't want people like I always felt like, oh, there's something wrong with how I talk. So I don't want people to hear me talk. So I was like very quiet in middle school and high school, even in college. We had a writing instructor that would come and maybe she would come once a month and she would teach us about how to write. So how do you do an outline? How do you structure things? And I I always, even to this day, I feel that I communicate better in written word. I think I'm much better of it now, of just being present instead of worrying about what I'm going to say when they finish talking. But because I was so so adamant about not wanting to speak out or talk, that I became a good writer in the process because, like, this is my way to communicate my thoughts fully and concisely and completely. And my senior year, I had an English teacher, and we had to write a lot of papers. And she wrote on one of my papers. She was like, "Wow, you really show your stuff in your papers." And she wrote it in red ink on one of my papers. And I still remember that. And I up until that point, I didn't even recognize that I was a good writer. It made me want to become a better writer. And then when I had jobs in the future, that would always be something that my bosses would comment about, like, oh my gosh, you're such a good writer. I think I always think about that little note in that red ink. On that one paper, I can't even tell you what the paper was about, what the assignment was. But I just remember that little bit of confirmation from her to tell me that I was a good writer. And it it has it affected me all these years later.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. That's the power we have as people with just one sentence, one verbal written moment to impact someone so deeply and so powerfully, you know, that's great. I'm so happy you shared that with me. It's very touching.
1: So when you graduated high school and your mom had already really stressed for you you need to go to college. So that was in the cards. What did you think you wanted to do with your life?
0: So I'm really big on words. So I'm going to rephrase what you said. Mm -hmm. So my mom never told me I need to go to college. She gave me the choice. She said, if you want to stand up on your own feet, you go to college. It was like, if you want to stand up on your own feet, you choose to go to college. I didn't really plan a lot. I, you know, I get asked this question a lot about how did you decide you wanted to be a physical therapist? And I really believed in the educational system, so I went to the career center and I took the little aptitude test because I really didn't have anyone guiding me. I went to, you know, the career center and took a test and then I thought, okay, well, what's my favorite subject? It was always science. And I just knew that what I was going to do, I didn't want to be a bitter old person. For some reason, I had that in my head. And so I wanted to do counseling or a social worker. And I dug into it and I kept finding out that like everybody would get burnt out, you know, and some of the high school counselors that I was around were always kind of grumpy. So I dug in and I said, well, what makes me happy? And I really like people. At that time, in that era, (laughs) computers. science was the new major. And people were saying, we're not really sure about these computers, things, you know, they might fail. So I said, do I want to sit in front of a screen or do I love people? Which one do I like more? And I said, people. So I, it was science people. And then I thought, well, what makes life meaningful to me? I'm not sure this is exactly how I worded it, but I really like to help people. So I put science people and making a contribution as my three requirements to pick a career. And physical therapy was one of them. And uh, I just dug into it and I read books and I read books about what it was. And I said, I think this is, this is what I want to do. It sounds like it has all three components, And then, you know, you go to do volunteer hours because it's a requirement to observe so that you can see if this is what you want to do. And I think that's a really good idea before you jump in to shadow or go volunteer somewhere and watch the career in action. You will see the components of the career and you'll also see, more importantly, the person. And if they're happy or they're not happy, and then you you dig around that, and then you can see if that's a good fit for you or not. So that's a good way to career or path shop you know, before investing. So I knew I was going to be a physical therapist, and then I made it happen when I was in college according to the courses I picked.
1: And so you went to California State Long Beach, and why did you pick
0: that school? At that time, we didn't have a lot of physical therapy programs in the state of California. So... Um, that was one of the schools that had it and it was known to be the best in California. So that's where I went. Very cool.
1: So how did you pay for college?
0: Um, well, I had my parents. My parents were always very gracious. Um, and then I also took out student loans. I, I gotta be honest with you. My parents were always around if there was something that I couldn't pay for, but it, never happened that way. But, you know, I I don't I don't know because they did pay for all my books and, you know, my rent. And, you know, but I always I still remember I would go get the used books. I never bought the new ones because the new ones were always more expensive. And everybody probably knows in college, you know, you get those used books early enough, you get the best ones with the best notes in there. So it was a
1: double win. Do you have a favorite class or extracurricular activity? that influenced your career aspirations at
0: that time? I didn't do much extracurricular activities. The, my first two years, um, I was, I'm a very family-oriented person, so I was always, you know, going home or doing things with my family or my sisters. Um, I would help out my parents in in the business. That was probably my extracurricular activity. <laughs> And and once I was in physical therapy school, the program, that was all I did. You know, of course, I went out on the weekends and had friends and things like that, but nothing to group or community like oriented where I would just go on a regular basis.
1: So you you're in college, you're taking classes. You're still clear that you want to be a physical therapist. Did you know whether you wanted to work for like a big physical therapy operations or if you wanted to be private practice? Did you know what you wanted to do?
0: So you know, as you're asking me this, like, you know, what do you know in high school? What do you know? I didn't know. And I think it's a good thing sometimes. I must have been a very in the moment kind of a person naturally, because when I was going to school, I was just in school. When I was in PT program, I was just in PT program. And all of a sudden we were graduating and we had to do a research presentation and then we had to think about a job. And I was like, oh, okay, let's start thinking about a job. And everybody was like, already had an idea of where they wanted to work. I came out of college and I said, whoa, you know, think I'm just going to take my board exam and chill out for a little bit. (laughs) So I did because I was like, I just got inundated with data in my head. So you could work while you're studying for your board exam, um, still under a, a, a license, or you could get the exam and then, I mean, get the license and then work. So I chose to get the license and then work. In physical therapy, you can specialize in many, many different areas. So I said, you know what, let's start off broad. I wanted to get exposure in every section of physical therapy. That was my notion. That was my game plan is Is going to do the first few years to get as much exposure in the real world in every subsection of physical therapy as possible. So that's what I did for five years. I would do weekend jobs. I would, if someone was talking about, you know, uh, a different section like wound care is part of physical therapy. It's like when you have an open wound, you can go and they they clean it up and they bandage it. And so it's not a very popular section now, but and it wasn't that much there then either. But there were a lot of physical therapists who didn't want to do wound care. And I thought, well, I should have that on my under my belt, because what if one day I want to specialize in it? Or what if one day it helps me get a job somewhere? Right? Because if you if I have the skill and you don't, but they may need the skill, they're going to give me the job. So
1: the five years was at the San Gabriel Valley Medical Center?
0: Yeah, it was at San Gabriel Valley Medical Center is where I did my full time job as a senior physical therapist for outpatient but on the weekends at that time I would also go work at other hospitals it always I would drive like an hour to go to Cedar Sinai Hospital because it was known to be one of the best hospitals I I had done my internship there already but I wanted to see the other floors of the hospital and then when I got tired of it I didn't keep doing it that was the I think a little bit of a difference between me and the other people is when I get tired of it I said okay I must have gotten what I want, or this is not serving me anymore. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this anymore, you know, and I wouldn't be, it was a, what I call there's love based and fear based decisions. And it was a love based decision of, I'm not going to push myself to do this anymore. And if there's something else that needs to be on my resume, that would help me in my career, then I will do it. But this is the end of this and not fear based of, oh my gosh, I only did this for six months or eight months or one year. And how's it going to look? And what if I'm missing out? Well, if I'm missing out, then I wasn't present all those Saturdays that I was there. That's my own fault.
1: So how were you able to get that opportunity at Cedars?
0: I, When I was working at the hospital, a lot of therapists were just doing different jobs on the weekends at different places. And so I thought, oh, you can do that? And so is there people like, yeah, you know, I go here on a Saturday or I work here. And a lot of people were doing it to make extra money, you know. And of course, yeah, you make that extra money. But I was like, oh, well, you know, let me go make extra money. And then I thought, oh, I can go work anywhere.
1: So was there a, um, a person or maybe a patient or a situation that really influenced you or, you know, just helped or supported you in your job? Is there something memorable that exists
0: there? Something that stuck out to me early in my career is when I would work with stroke rehab patients and um, their their therapy would would finish and they would say, I'm not done yet. Like, I still want to move my arm. And back then with the science and everything we knew, it was like, well, this is what you're going to have to do when you're home and you may not regain full function of your arm. And I didn't like saying that to my patients. That was one area of physical therapy that I moved away from because I was not about to tell them, this is all you're going to get. I didn't believe it in my heart because that patient was so passionate about, I know I can do this. Can you help me? And because of the way healthcare was, it was like, well, you got to, you know, this is what you got to do now. And that was it. And so that stuck out to me a lot. And I think Now, many, many years later, it was a precursor to moving me into the integrative more, you know, let's see what your body can do model versus no, this is all your body can do.
1: Okay. Your next piece was you became a consultant. What made you make that switch? Uh,
0: In the middle of working for corporate healthcare and that switch, I had a realization that I had a dream that I was not moving towards. And that was to go out and do work in the nonprofit world. I had quit my job at the hospital and ended up uh, traveling various places in the world and mostly in India and doing work with uh, disaster relief uh, training, physical therapy departments, and new techniques—just um, kind of things like that. I came, I would come back, and I was lucky to be staying at my parents' house, so I would—I had that support. So I would work a little bit, and then I would travel. I would work a little bit and travel, and in that, I started doing all this consulting. Work because I needed, I wanted the flexibility as I was doing some contracts. I had developed a reputation to where I was getting more contracts than I could handle.
1: And so, backtracking, what got you into doing the nonprofit arena? What was it about that that interested you, and how were you able to break into being able to go to India and work in? like disaster relief, how did that happen?
0: You know, it's always been, I I don't know, it's been an innate thing in me from the beginning. So I wrote a paper in high school that I wanted to start a charity foundation. It got put up on the wall and I wish I would have saved it. The, The gist of it was, I have no idea how I came about this stuff, but it was an English paper, English class paper. And I said, money makes the world go round. So I'm going to make a lot of money. And then I'm going to start a charity foundation and give it all away. (laughs) I've always had this thing of contribution. It was before I used to use the word help people. And I don't feel that that's the word that connects with me. I like the word contribution. How did I do it? I had no idea how to do it. So I just went over there and started interviewing with the nonprofits, getting tours. And the one that connected and clicked with me the most would just go and, and do whatever they needed. Okay,
1: so you've been a consultant and so you've done different things. So I see that you were a compliance auditor, then you became board member. Could you talk to me a little bit about how those opportunities came about and like how did they prepare you for what you're doing now?
0: Okay. So I'm going to probably reverse that a little bit because what I did before is what prepared me to get those jobs the auditing stuff I did compliance and auditing things when I worked for corporate healthcare I just did it because that was what somebody needed to do it nobody wanted to do it and I said okay I'll do it because it was something I didn't know how to do and something I've never done and that, and so I developed those skills and then when I went out on my own as a consultant there were these opportunities where they're like, well, we need, you know, a compliance person and we need an auditor to d- overlook these things. And because I had those skills, I was able to say, okay, I've done this detail-oriented work and analyzation and data tracking and all of this. And they would always have a system set up and then we'd improve that system and, you know, do the work. I would not just do the work. I would try to look at it and say, how can I improve it? The passion for doing nonprofit work, led me to, I w- I'm here now in San Francisco, I'm grounded, I'm not traveling back and forth, but I still have a passion to do some sort of work for people, be connected to people, community is really important to me. And so I said, okay, how am I gonna serve while I'm running a business? And so, we started looking into boards, you know, where I can serve, and not the glorious board, and not the one that would get me networks and get me, you know, patients. I was like, no, I, I'm not going to survive that way. I'm going to hate going to the meetings. I'm not going to, you know, put in the work. So I said, what organization has the passions that I love? And so, I love anything about health and wellness. Um, love kids. Yeah, love education and naturally the YMCA just kind of has all of that. They have such a healthy approach to what wellness is, not just working out at a gym and not being a certain size and not always exercising. You know, it's like the mental health and the community and the connection and the social things, you know, and all ages. And so their mission jived with my heart, and so I selected them. And fortunately, you know, through the vetting and and all the uh, processes that I have, I was able to serve on the board with them. How are both of those helping me now? You know, it's probably still unfolding. <laughs> the board have been on it for a few years, I think maybe four. The genuine answer is I'm a part of the community here. You know, I I get an opportunity to be connected to people. And when there's other things happening around our country and our world, that looks like things are in despair. And I look at this small business, a YMCA bustling with people and kids and they're helping families who need childcare and helping kids to go to a STEM program through you know, uh, scholarships. And we're fundraising to support these things and we're making an impact. And I meet that makes me feel alive. If I'm alive and I'm feeling alive, that means i'm going to be creating something that's going to contribute to the world so then in
1: 2012 you started your own physical therapy practice and it's called turtle rabbit integrative physical therapy tell me about what integrative physical therapy means and where the
0: name came so turtle rabbit is based after the story of the tortoise and the hare if i'm going to open a business is going to be my way. And I said, okay, well, what, you know, got to make something fun. I think taking care of yourself should be fun. We're going to be in this body forever until we die. So why not enjoy taking care of ourselves? And I want it to be inviting. I don't want it to be like a boring healthcare name. For some reason, not that the tortoise and the hare was my favorite story or whatever, but that story came into my head. That's what clients feel like when they have a health problem. You're overwhelmed. So when people come into the clinic, I know that they're feeling like, what is the next step? And the tortoise and the hare, the turtle knows his end destination. The rabbit comes, he's got all the mad skills. He's the fast one. He's cunning, right? And just, I was like, turtle rabbit. That's what I'm going to name it. Because when my clients come in, they know they want to get better. They know their end line. But from where they are to their end line, they don't know exactly how to get there. That's my job. A very important part of our healing model here is I don't decide for my clients where they want to go. They decide, meaning they all want to get better, yes, but what level of better is important to you? I have senior citizens who their most important goal is to go back to their group exercise class in the heated pool. I have other senior citizens who just want to be able to get in and out of their house, down their stairs, and go to the grocery store. I have my 20-year-olds who want to hike up Mount Everest. Some people just want to go back to gardening. If it's important to you, the finish line, then you will want to get there. That's how the turtle rabbit, there's a whole bunch of things tied to that. And and so that's why I called it turtle rabbit physical therapy. As
1: far as Being a physical therapist and being a business owner, looking at both of those, like the craft of doing your job and then the craft of running a business, what are the skills you have had to develop in order to be good in both of those roles?
0: Mm, I'm going to start with the business aspect. So you got to look at all your uncomfortable zones of, um, you know, bookkeeping, um, systemizing, you can make your operations smoother. The internal is that, you know, inside operation, then the shine is like your communication as a business person. You know, I'm a healer, but I'm also a business person. And in order for me to keep helping people heal their bodies, I have to be able to keep my doors open, which means I got to have money coming in and out.
1: Okay. Awesome. Another thing I'd like to talk about is flat sides and that's a that you haven't invested the time in developing yet. What would be a flat side that maybe down the line you would like to develop and you know it'll be helpful in your current role?
0: Um, Yeah, it's an interesting question. My flat side that I would love to develop and I'm continuing to develop is how to articulate the importance of authenticity and love in what you do that could be in business or with my you know clients when i'm speaking to them so kind of this you know woo woo of love that everyone talks about or seeing as love and feel good but i don't feel like that's what that is i think there's a lot of groundedness and realness in the notion of love and how do you articulate and communicate a message with words and connect that to business, to projects, to the way you communicate with people, right? And so that's a flat side that I'm constantly working on.
1: Okay, so now we're done with talking about your jobs. I'm going to ask you um, a few, like I call this my rapid fire section. So I'm going to ask you questions and then you can just answer whatever is the first thing that comes to mind. When you need a boost of confidence, what do you do? I take a breath. Is there like a sequence of what that breath looks like or how does that help you?
0: You know what? I I stop. I just take a breath and I just stay really still and in a quiet thought, know that I am the one creating this moment. And that gives me that confidence of almost a, a confidence of, well, I'm going to do me and whatever happens, happens. That, that, that's not me. And I cannot control the situation. I cannot control what the person's going to say. I cannot control the person. And nor do I want to. No, it sounds very simplistic, but when you really do it in presence and in silence and uh, really engage with the breath, it really just shifts the energy of the nervousness or the anxiety um, or the fear that you're having around the situation and gives you confidence.
1: So is there something that you do every day or several times a week that you consider like a keystone habit that helps you focus and produce your best work?
0: Absolutely. As you're saying it, um, I just thought of it is gratitude. No doubt about it, hands down.
1: So you're married. How did you meet your husband and what has marriage taught you about yourself?
0: Oh man, such a big question. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to keep the story short. Uh, I won't even, yeah, go into the story, but we met um, randomly at a wedding reception of a mutual friend.
1: Ah, so it does happen there. Like we all think that. Oh, you know, I can meet someone at a wedding and it never works out, but you're saying that it oh, worked yeah. out for Oh yeah,
0: and I was even the bridesmaid, so it was, <laughs> no. Way. and he was a wedding <laughs> crasher. <laughs> his, it was his best friend's sister's wedding. His best friend said, dude, you got to come over and help me and give me company. So he just came. And so that's, a, that's a, in a nutshell, um. But that was the first time I met someone at a wedding and it did work out. So it was for me too. Um, my husband's name's is Vamzi. Uh, he's a great guy. And we started dating and when we decided to get married and in our beginning of the years of our marriage, we were very focused on being able to be our own individuals and personalities and life goals, but at the same time being together. So how do you be together and not lose your own identity and your dreams, but still move together, but separate? I would say, and knowing that people change, you have those growing pains together. And so unconditional love is very important if you want to be together and be happy. Don't expect that person to make you happy. You are responsible for your own happiness.
1: So let's talk about possibility models. These are women of color that inspire you and show that it's possible to live your dream. So who are some possibility models for you?
0: Um, I would say, you know, Oprah, for sure. I don't know her, so I can just tell you from what I've seen Right. Because sometimes celebrities and things, we have all these notions and they're different. But she's a woman of color, you know, and extremely successful. I've never really heard her talk negative stuff, actually, you know, that she didn't get this opportunity or it was because of the way she looked. I mean, she doesn't focus much on it. She may have said something here and there. And that, and that is interesting to me because we always focus on those things. And then I would say my mom, my mom's, my real life, the one that I know, uh, I would trust that over Oprah any day just because I don't know Oprah, right? Uh, so, but I, my mom um, is, like I said, she was an eighth grade dropout. My, even though we lived in London, her English wasn't that great. She learned English when I was getting tutored for English here. She would stand there and she would learn and she improved her own English and she's ran 13 successful businesses with my father. And she can ne- out-negotiate anyone. You know, and she's got an eighth grade education, never stopped her. She learned, she figured things out. And I think that's maybe where, you know, not maybe, that's where I learned it, was watching both of my parents, you know. And if I think about it, my, my mom, my dad, you know, and even when you look at oprah the way she lives is it, they live very freely it feels like very who they are she if oprah is also very animated and she'll like be so excited and she'll like be screaming and it's you can feel her freedom so if people wanted
1: to find you online
0: where should they go um well let's see where can they go i'm most active on facebook can find me there people really want to reach out to me and talk or have a question or something they can just email me um, i'll just put my email out there it's karuna at turtle rabbit sf uh, sf for san francisco.com uh, okay and
1: we'll include um the links to all of those things in the show notes so da-da-da-da! final question so the name of this podcast is how she did it If you could go back in time and give your younger self some career advice, what would you say?
0: I would say just be yourself. I was being myself when I was younger, but I would be myself even more because those quirky times where I was doubting myself is what made me who I am right now. But I don't want to say to my younger self, be quirky. See, this is interesting because I don't want to tell myself be more quirky because sometimes quirky makes the world mean to you and so i kind of hid some of my quirky weirdness you know a little bit was more on the quiet side so i i would say be yourself yeah i would just leave it at that and let my younger self interpret that be yourself because what you are right now is enough
1: and that's the show The background music for this episode is Lip Gloss by Pottington Bear. For links to the things discussed in this episode, go to yolandaenickcom forward slash 10.